My family started me off drinking milky black tea from a saucer when I was a toddler. My mother served morning and afternoon tea every day of her life, all made from loose tea. This soothing drink was there for me through good times and bad, and from the youngest age, I found myself wondering, where does tea come from? I'm Gillian Abbott with a year of mindful eating stories from the food I eat. And so, in the mid-1990s, I found myself in southwestern Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon, in the bungalow of Dotayola Estate. Ceylon tea has long been synonymous with British colonial era planters, brought to life in novels and Saturday matinee films like Elephant Walk, starring Elizabeth Taylor. In that one, Taylor is a beautiful but neglected young wife of a rich tea planter whose life revolves around planting, his chums and his club. At Dotayola, the dialogue was straight out of a W. Somerset Morn story, but with one significant difference. The cheroot-smoking chaps sipping scotch and soda and discussing Tiffin at the club were not 1920s British colonial tea planters, they were Sri Lankan nationals. Superintendent Tony Gundawadira, a jovial veteran with 20 years experience in tea planting, is the head of a highly organised hierarchy. His domain, a highland property stretching as far as the eye can see, is slightly more than 1,400 acres and has a workforce of more than 650 souls. The bungalow overlooks impossibly green fields. Gangs of tea pluckers wearing colourful saris move about the grounds. At that distance, they resemble Christmas ornaments against the vast picking table of green bushes. In the late 1960s, author E.M. Forrest wrote that on entering a tea estate, you are absorbed into an unchanging timetable, a world complete in itself, a social mechanism fitted exactly to its sole function, the production of as much and as good tea as possible for a given acreage. Nothing I saw at Dotiola contradicted his description. When I was a kid, every Australian school, club and church owned a tea urn, a tall stainless steel cylinder with a tap at the bottom. Its sole purpose was to keep several gallons of water on the boil for tea. Every day at 10am and 3pm, the entire workforce stopped what they were doing and lined up for a cup of tea. At my first job, the tea was poured from a gigantic metal teapot. The early bird's tea was what my father would have dismissed as dishwater, weak and insipid, while the late arrival's tea was stewed, dark and almost too strong to drink. Back on the tea estate, the work to bring us our daily tea begins at seven with muster, a formal gathering of the male workforce. Tony assigns the work teams their daily tasks and then returns to his bungalow for a quick breakfast. Then it's off to his office, a quaint colonial building, sparsely furnished and bringing to mind an army field headquarters in a Kenneth Moore film. The walls are adorned with lists of names of former superintendents dating back to Wiggins, A, 1928 to 1957. Tea growing has changed, Tony explains. Back in the early days, it was a washbuckling world of pioneering men we must not forget their hard work. But today, we have different challenges. 
in particular we are more subject to the market than the old british plantation owners were we must adapt to today's world of global free trade i wondered if tony knew i felt rather swashbuckling just being on the estate it was true that life seemed to be going on immune to sri lanka's intermittent civil war or the tumultuous changes globalization was beginning to bring i loved the quiet isolation and knowing that every cup of tea i drank began in enchanted tropical mountain gardens like this just added to its appeal at doteola tony's in constant motion after our brief conversation we proceed to the factory a vast two-storied cabin located on a dirt track across from the office it takes about 4.5 kilograms of green tea leaves to make 1 kilogram of finished black tea he explained adding that on dotayola estate the fresh picked tea arrives on the estate factory several times a day delivered here immediately after picking and weighing tony supervises every stage of production making several trips to the factory each day The first stage withering involves spreading the tea in layers over a trough of warm air. He runs his fingers through the vats of tea. As he explains the process, he lifts a fistful out and examines the tea leaves. He smells them and satisfied with their earthy fragrance, returns them to the vat. Next the leaves are rolled which squeezes out the sap and causes oxidation. Fermenting follows rolling. The fermentation stage is crucial. If timed correctly, the tea takes on a coppery appearance and the delightfully savory taste of finished tea. Finally, sample batch brewed up and run by Tony's skill palate for grading. Tony belongs to a new breed of post-colonial tea men. Under British ownership, Ceylon tea had earned a reputation as the world's finest. During the 70s, however, Sri Lanka nationalized the tea estates, many of which subsequently fell into decline. With the estates back in private hands, men like Tony are determined to earn back their status as world's finest tea. He is also responsible for the estate nursery, which ensures a supply of new plants to replace old damaged bushes. Tea bushes can grow as high as 50 feet, but are pruned to form a low flat top known as a picking table. Plucking tea leaves is also a highly skilled trade and is most often done by women whose smaller hands ensure more delicate handling. A good tea plucker can pick up to 70 pounds of raw tea per day. By 8 in the evening, Tony takes a moment to sit and enjoy a drink in his bungalow. Wednesday afternoons, I sit in my office because it's the workers' day where the workers come to the office. He tells me a story about one tea plucker's drunken husband. By a combination of conjoling and threatening, Tony got the man to cut down on his drinking and stop fighting with his wife. He leans forward to reach for his drink and then disappears into the blackness of a sudden power failure. We continue to talk, stoically ignoring the darkness and scurrying servers who come running. Then a match strikes. It flares, casting the cook's face in gruesome shadows. Cook lights candles and I can see Tony again. He grimaces as he explains that he would normally go straight to the factory now to check the electric machinery. After what has been an exciting day, I begin to feel like a pesky foreign guest and worrying along with Tony about the fate of the rolling machines. I'm sure if I wasn't here, he'd be out the door already. 
What is so interesting about modern tea production in Sri Lanka is the way it seamlessly blends the old world and the new. As MJF Group of Companies founder and chairman, the legendary tea entrepreneur Meryl J. Fernando puts it, The finest quality of tea is manufactured by the traditional methods proven over centuries. This method of manufacture is known as orthodox manufacture. Technical innovation drove a revolution in tea production. The market for leaf tea had shrunk dramatically as consumers no longer had time to brew tea in teapots. But tea bags can now deliver a quality of tea that was previously only obtainable through loose leaf. If technology can improve manufacture without loss of flavour, quality and colour, we will seriously look at it. Growing tea is more than a job for men like Tony. It's a way of life. The Sri Lankan tea planters who steadfastly maintain the customs and lifestyle established by the British in colonial days have kept this romantic tradition alive. And now, as I enjoy a cup of tea with my son Alex, I'm very pleased to know that my family tradition of tea drinking has been passed along. Tea has always been a big part of daily family life. Wake up in the morning, have some tea. Get back from school, have some tea. Just finished dinner, have some tea. In short, I grew up loving black tea, usually served with milk, and associating it with being home and with family. It never occurred to me to think much about where it came from or how it was made. While on a trip to Darjeeling, India after college, that all changed. My interest in different styles of tea had been growing, and I decided to learn as much as I could. I visited Makaibari Tea Estate, the first organic and biodynamic tea garden in Darjeeling, India. The teas left me feeling as if I could taste the landscape itself, my first real experience to truly understand the meaning of terroir. Hmm, the leaf didn't fall too far from the cup, now did it? Thank you for listening. Check me out on the SoundCloud at A Year of Mindful Eating for more episodes. Please follow and like my blog at The Mindful Mouth on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter at Jan Abbott. Share it and join me for another serving of A Year of Mindful Eating next time. The E.M. Forrest book I quoted is 100 Years of Salon Tea, 1867-1967. to A Year of Mindful Eating, Stories from the Food I Eat was written and performed by me, Gillian Abbott. Quotes from Meryl J. Fernando and Tony Gundamadina. Theme music by Lauren Butcher. Produced by Gillian Abbott. Story edited by Bronwyn Berry and Joanne Perpich. Sound editor is Leonard Collier. Executive producer is me. Additional music used with permission of the MJF Group and Dilma T. Copyright, Fourth Genre Productions, 2016.